Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. Joining me as always is author and GAI Vice President Eric Eggers. We might want to add to that list, Eric, that along with cronyism, corruption, and abuse of power, we're going to discuss failure, uh, the failure of the retreat from Afghanistan. And we're going to take a deep look at that today. We're going to discuss it, uh, but we're also going to have a very special guest, new GAI senior fellow, uh, Lee Smith, will be joining us. Um, you know, the collapse in Kabul uh, is not only a massive failure, it's the manner in which we re retreated and the extent of failure. And to put it into context, you know, we are used to politicians taking care of people who take care of them, right? Whether it's a donor, whether it's a family member, people who do them favors, they at least take care of their families and friends to show how incompetent the uh, Kabul evacuation was Joe Biden couldn't even pull that off uh, because there's a guy named Muhammad who in 2008 actually helped potentially save Senator Joe Biden's life. Helicopter went down. John Kerry was on the helicopter with him. Uh, a rescue team had to go out. Muhammad was the interpreter that went and helped to rescue him. Biden referenced this several times in the 2008 presidential campaign. He spoke of the incident and the trip as a way of burnishing his foreign policy credentials. Well, what happened to Muhammad? He got left behind. As the Wall Street Journal recounts, he wrote, Hello, Mr. President, save me and my family. Uh, Muhammad, his wife and his four children had tried for more than a year to get out of Afghanistan, and it got lost in the red tape. So it's with despair we look at the events in Afghanistan. It, it has an air of feel to me, I'm older than you, Eric, uh, of the Vietnam era, uh, the fatigue, the dispirit, the lack of confidence. Um, and we look around the world today and we see the Taliban seem to have a lot of confidence in their uh, very old uh, and dangerous ideas. The Chinese, the Chinese communists are confident in what they espouse, but this administration is lacking the confidence. But but I think one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to assess what happened in Afghanistan with Lee Smith. But I also think it's very, very important for people to realize this was a failure of the Biden administration and of our leadership class in America. This was not a failure of Americans. And if you look actually at the disastrous retreat from Kabul, you had the horrible chaos at the airport, but you also had Something not as reported, which is all these amazing efforts of individual private Americans who managed to get other Americans and Afghan allies out of the country where the federal government didn't. It is. It's absolutely true. And I think it's important to tell those stories and focus as much on those as the failures of the institutions, because, you know, you reference Vietnam and I was born after the Vietnam War. But I do think, you know, this whole idea of American spirit and this, you know, and American exceptionalism, you know, we have some data points that support that, right, that we learned in school, the Revolutionary War, World War One, World War Two. But 
once you get past Vietnam, the data points become a little bit more challenging to cling to. Like there's the space program and there's some other things, but the things that we're inundated with from a new standpoint don't necessarily support that. And maybe even political correctness doesn't necessarily support the idea of American exceptionalism. So I do think it's important to remember and point out that, no, even amidst this boondoggle and this tragedy that's led to the loss of American military personnel and lots of other things, there's still examples of the American spirit carrying the day. So you see these stories about these retired military workers working out of the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C. These guys just kind of commandeer this conference room called the Peacock Lounge. (laughs) (laughs) And they just like this guy who's a former, he's an equity investor from Naples. And he starts getting on the phone and they're calling up these movers and shakers. And next thing you know, they're moving 5,000 people out of Afghanistan because they're chartering these private planes and getting planes in and out of airfields in, in Kabul. Like how, it, if you, I mean, I feel relatively empowered. Like my joke is I'm a white Republican male. I don't need a lot of help to feel empowered. I don't know that I'm empowered enough to like charter planes to Afghanistan and back. Well, what, right? I, what I love about this guy's spirit is he goes to the World Hotel, sets up in the Peacock Lounge, which I've been in. It's right. a nice place. Uh, but he's reaching out to foreign governments mm-hmm. uh, like Somaliland right. and, and the United Arab Emirates and arranges for the evacuation of 5,000 Afghans who worked with the United States in the war against the Taliban. I mean, amazing initiative. One of the things that makes America unique. You have the case of Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen, uh, who actually went, I guess, to Tajikistan, which is neighboring Afghanistan, uh, and was trying to uh, get Afghans out of the country as well. And he tried to get the embassy to help him. uh, And they were afraid they didn't want to help him. Why? Yeah, because it's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what they said was illegal was he was exceeding cash limits that he needed to basically grease some palms to get these people out of Afghanistan. And the U.S. Embassy said, no, we don't want to exceed the cash limits uh, because it's going to violate Tajik law. I mean, this is the the contrast I would draw between sort of the government approach, which is red red tape and the american uh, initiative approach which is we're going to just get stuff done people are in a desperate situation we're going to get them out of the country and figure out later if we violated a few you know minor laws no absolutely and i like that the washington post headline on this by the way was that he raised his voice with the embassy staff right he was <laughs> he was rude or aggressive like that's the violation not yeah that... maybe we should do a little more of that with the taliban right no but i think it's cool right like yeah. mark wayne mullen i think he's got a military background he's like look i'm just going to go get it done and you see another example of that we, we did a podcast on bipartisanship in Washington DC and how that has something to do with the idea of people making money we talked about the infrastructure bill but other examples of bipartisanship in a much more positive way representative Seth Moulton from Massachusetts and Pete Myers yeah yep. Democrat and Pete Myers a Republican from Michigan they went on their own secret visit to Afghanistan a couple weeks ago on August 24th uh, when they've realized that some of these Biden issued administration uh, evacuations would not be making it work I mean Moulton's a marine yep right Pete Myers interesting guy Pete Myers actually the grandson I think of the Meyer grocery store huge chain empire right so this, yep. this is a wealthy guy yeah but went to west point for a year before he went to columbia then he was in the army reserve and deployed in iraq so here's two guys a republican and a democrat but what do they have in common military service public service love a country they've served they know these people and no we're going to get it done yep. right and they took the initiative and of course nancy pelosi was upset saying why are you going over there mm-hmm. on this unauthorized congressional mission maybe we need more uh, unauthorized missions so we could better evaluate actually what was going on on the ground. We also had the dramatic case of the 
Afghan soccer team that got out with American help. Um, and this was, again, another military veteran who, how did they pull this off? Yeah, this is a really cool story. So it was a Marine who kind of was working with the Afghanistan national team as, I think, a goalkeeping coach, right? And so yep. she partnered with different government entities and, and other women that were connected to the Afghanistan soccer team. This one lady was in Denmark. And so this group of, I think, of six women, they were gathering together and they're on the phone with everybody that's in Afghanistan. Like, I think 80 people connected to the Afghan women's soccer team and they're coordinating the routes and telling them where to go. And this was this very arduous thing. And part of what they're doing is they're calling them and saying, no, you got to keep going. And these women went through these Taliban checkpoints. Some of them were beaten. Some of them were done worse too yeah but these six women that are out of the country just encouraging these people to get through and so they end up getting about 80 members Amazing. of 80 people connected to the afghanistan women's soccer team out and the quote from uh, stripes.com said never underestimate the power of six women with smartphones <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think your wife probably does some amazing things. With I mean, smartphones. one woman with a smartphone is running my life. So six women, exponential. <laughs> That's exactly right. So the, the, why did we tell these stories and highlight these? Because, and this is what we're going to talk with Lee Smith about now, is our leadership failed us. This was not an American failure. And just like after the malaise of Vietnam, the American people rose up. Uh, it was morning in America again. You had the election of Ronald Reagan. You had the U.S. hockey team that won against the the uh, dreaded Soviets in the 1980s. Uh, this is a failure of leadership, but not a failure of America. And just to discuss this and to really look at how our leadership failed in Afghanistan, we're very, very happy to have with us today Lee Smith. He's a senior fellow at the Government Accountability Institute. Lee has a long resume. He's written several best-selling books. I would commend all of them to you. He wrote a great book on uh, the Middle East called The Strongest Horse. He's someone who's reported uh, from the Middle East. East uh, in the Muslim world for the Weekly Standard. Lee, thanks so much for joining us today. We're, we're very glad to have you with us. Well, Peter, it's, it's uh, great to be with you and Eric today, and uh, it's great to be with uh, GAI generally. And so thanks very much for, for, have, for having me um, having me on. I also just want to add, not that I'm in the business of kind of compensating for Peter's shortcomings, but <laughs> in, in his case of his detailing of your resume, I think it's important. You lived in New York in on 9-11. Yes, and, you yes, know, I mean, that yes. event on 9-11 is what led to our war in Afghanistan. And when I spoke to you mm -hmm. last time you were in town, I said, well, what led you to pursue a career in journalism in the Middle East? And you said, no, that, you know, these people attacked my backyard and wanted to find out why. So I just think that's an important part of your Thank you. origin Thanks. story that yeah. informs, uh, you know, your perspective. That's exactly right. Go ahead, Lee, tell us that story and then tell us a little bit um, how our leaders failed us in Afghanistan. Well, I, I think I think that's really the central issue. And I really like the way that you guys have distinguished um, what looks like failure for the United States and what looks like failure for this particular ruling class, and it's a bipartisan failure. Yeah, this is this has been going on twenty years. I, I, I you know, and I, I just wanted to. Can I read you some guys something very quickly? Yeah, that I got um, that I got from a, um, a, a an Afghanistan uh, veteran, a guy who's also uh, he's a journalist now, as a colleague. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention his name because he didn't give me permission to use it. But he here's how he explains here's how he explains the withdrawal. Um, and it's uh, certainly it's about Joe Biden, but it's it's about our, our ruling class. Here's here it goes. You don't spend two decades pumping trillions of dollars into a money pit and funding all manner of transparent fantasies one year at a time with no real continuity or long range planning. 
then all of a sudden develop the ability as you're running out the door at half past midnight to make prudent decisions to secure <laughs> your material interests. I mean, and, 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 and that to me, that to me is just such a perfect description of what happened. So Joe Biden and the Biden administration, civilian and military leadership are specifically responsible for what happened. But if you look at what's happened over 20 years, the fact that our ruling class, our ruling establishment has never been held accountable for any of what's going on, for the waste, not just of American money, but for the waste of American lives. I mean, these are among our our, our most high-spirited young men and women. And so that's what I mean. This is not about America. This is not about Americans. It's about a it's about um, it's about our our elites. So 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 Lee, let me let me ask you specifically, because I know one of the things I so appreciate about your your journalism is you name names. So let's name some names. I mean, Joe Biden is obvious. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, as vice president, as a senator. Yeah. But give us some other names and give us the names of some of the military commanders, because I'm yeah. amazed how many military commanders leave the military. Then they go off to work at private equity firms where right. they're sort of, you know, embraced for their leadership and their oh, vision. It sounds, and like got this, uh, it sounds like you're yeah, talking got, specifically about David Petraeus here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please go on, but name some yeah. names. Let's get specific here. Well, and say, well, you know, because not everybody knows why David Petraeus is the first name that comes to your mind. Well, I mean, because Petraeus, Petraeus, was in, Petraeus was in Afghanistan. Look, the other people, here's what, I've, I've got a couple of favorite stories about particular military leaders. Um, when, when Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was searching for advice what the Trump administration should do uh, on Afghanistan, he went to Stanley McChrystal. And McChrystal was famously fired for insulting. He, he was running Afghanistan until he insulted um, Joe Biden, then vice president, in the pages of Rolling Stone magazine. And McChrystal said, well, you know, th- there's really not a good answer, give or take. I think it's just best. And I think he actually used the phrase, I think it's best that we just sort of muddle along. So again, He's talking about American lives here. Yeah, he's talking yeah. about our, 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 uh, 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 among our very best. We'll just keep throwing them at this because we can't afford to leave and we can't really afford to win, right? This is a situation where no one decided what winning would look like. What does winning look like? Does it look like does it look like an Afghan national military? Does it look like a police force? Does it look like girls schools all over the country? Does it look like gender studies programs at the University of Kabul? That is the way it was leaning toward the end. Mm. Right? So so, so that's standing crystal. But one of my favorite stories about military leadership is um, Donald Trump's, one of Donald Trump's uh, national security advisors, H.R. McMaster, uh, general, retired General H.R. McMaster, who reportedly showed to Donald Trump a picture of young women, young women in Kabul in the 60s or 70s wearing mini skirts. The case he was trying to make here, and I've heard this case all the time about the Middle East. Famously, this is what the Assad family does with Syria. Look, see, we're really liberal underneath, underneath, <laughs> the, underneath the tortures and the murders. We're, we're really liberal, but it's these crazy, you know, crazy Islamists who are coming after us. The case that McMaster was trying to make to Trump is we should keep throwing Americans at this problem because believe me, see these girls in miniskirts? There was once a liberal Kabul. We need to restore that liberal Kabul. 
the, the amount of people who enjoyed life like that in Kabul is such a small fraction. These are people who went to school in Paris or New right. York or Washington. And these this was the again, the elite. So the idea that somehow we're going to rebuild a country using Americans in, after the model of a very limited class of natives was preposterous. But no one was ever holding these people accountable for their fantasies. So I think it's important to draw a distinction between like everything you've just described, I think is, is lines up with everybody we've spoken to and I think accurately captures why the game plan was sort of doomed from the beginning, right? We never had a defined end state and we weren't willing to commit enough resources to whatever, to a strategy, right? So the muddle along was essentially the thing. So it's important to say, yeah, so no one's necessarily saying we should have stayed in perpetuity, but that doesn't mean that the exit was handled well. Right. And I think one of the things that the new research and the reporting has pointed out is that this Doha agreement that we had and said, okay, there's certain benchmarks and certain thresholds that the Taliban have to adhere to. And by all accounts, uh, those benchmarks were not adhered to. And so I think, do you think that the Biden administration is is trying to be a little duplicitous in saying that they were handcuffed or handicapped by this agreement when in fact the agreement may have allowed provisions that we should have been a little bit more authoritative and enforcing certain things or we, we could have been more patient? I, I think I think there is no way that the Taliban was ever not going to play host to different terrorist groups. This would be like making a deal with um, with the Libyans in the 70s. It's like, hey, you can't host you can't host IRA fighters. You can't host Palestinian <laughs> terrorists. It's just that's what Afghanistan is basically designed for, right? Right. It's, un, it's ungovernable space. And that, I mean, look, Al Qaeda it was basically like a, 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 a tenant, right? They were renting a hotel room. And like why was Al Qaeda? Yeah, why were they there in the first place twenty years ago? For exactly the same reason why other terrorist groups are there today. Exactly because no one is checking on them. No one cares. The Taliban is is basically ideologically aligned. There was there's no way you're going to get them. You can get them to sign that on a piece of paper, but it's not going to happen. And so what you would do then is somewhere over the horizon. You say, we've told you if you mess with America or American interests again, we're going to bomb your pile of rocks into smaller uh, rocks, you know, um, yeah. and th- that, that, that I, I think is really the only way to handle that. So there are expectations that are different things that the Taliban, not, not, I, I don't mean to be rationalizing the Taliban's decisions. I'm just saying, you, you know, you, you can't ask them to do these things that they were never, ever going to do. So we're at this situation right now, Lee, where where uh, the tragedy of Afghanistan is unfolding in front of us. It has global Im- implications. You're a student of history. You've written on a wide variety of subjects. Where do we go from here specifically in Afghanistan? I mean, is it going to return to sort of this terrorist state as it was uh, before 9-11? And where do we go here globally? Where do you go back uh, to get the reputation of being a reliable ally and a superpower that is confident uh, and that is prepared to stand up for its interests? Okay, well, let me start with Afghanistan. Afghanistan is... Afghanistan was never strategic territory for the United States, but Afghanistan is strategic territory for several important actors, namely Pakistan, India, and China. So it, it will, it it, it 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 matters, just not for American interests. 
right? This is something that we should have figured out a way to balance in other ways rather than sending forces there. It's important to the Chinese because um, because it's it's on the border of their Belt and Road Initiative, which is Xi's number one uh, number one priority after, of course, domestic stability. And you know we've seen different reports about the uh, Chinese offering to uh, pay the Taliban, <laughs> give them money. I imagine that sort of I imagine that sort of thing will happen. Um, but look, it's, it's very important in terms of the Pakistan and India struggle. The Pakistanis have always, always long perceived Afghanistan as their, um, as, as their, uh, what, what it's where they can retreat in, mm-hmm. in the event that there is a very big trouble. It's strategic ground for them. If they get into a big war with India, it's where they can go to. And the Pakistanis, Pakistani intelligence, as you know, we've all heard for years, the ISI uses the Taliban in different ways. So we'll we'll see uh, we'll see how the Indians counter that. And, you know, we have a lot of sources telling us that w- what's going on now in the Pangaea region, a lot of that will be a lot of that will be um, managed by by Indian intelligence and by the Indian government. So, again, I mean, Afghanistan is important. It just wasn't important in the way that the United States needed to have a troop presence for two decades. And look, and look globally for us. I mean, this this is this is a a not only a retreat from Afghanistan; it is a reputational uh, retreat. Um, and it's not only important how you execute a strategic retreat; it's 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 how you do it uh, and the manner in which it's seen. And this has got to uh, when you you mentioned China, for example, this has got to be encouraging uh, to foreign adversaries who uh, want a United States that is weakened um, and. You know, how do you recover from this? We've had we have in the past. We had the Reagan resurgence. But honestly, that took a while. I'm not sure we can afford to have six or seven years like we did in the Ford and Carter administration to be followed by Ronald Reagan. If the the Chinese wanted evidence of American weakness, this I mean, this is only a part of it. There's a a very large and and growing portfolio. And I mean, you know, if we have internal weakness in the United States, one of our big um, our big messaging campaign, part of America, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but it's it's the way it's seen, is that a big part of America propaganda messaging has been in terms of democratic values. Well, we have a very big problem on that front in terms of democratic values. When you have um, the FBI spying on an American president, as we had during the Donald Trump years, it's very hard for the United States to turn around and say, be more like us. Right. If you're talking to third world countries saying, be more like us, like you are like us, you're a third world country, (laughs) your security services are targeting the opposition, your security services work with your press. That's what we do here in Venezuela. It's funny, but it gets dismissed when like Putin brings that up, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah, but the third world leaders, they say, oh, do you guys read your own headlines? Because you're literally doing exactly that. Right. So, (laughs) So no one can take that seriously. So before the United States... Before the United, I I know that time is, of course, time is pressing. But before the United States has internal strength or has an internal logic 
to be able to do powerful things abroad, to be able to influence external actors and how that affects how we live here at home. We need to fix what's happening here at home. The, the, our, it's not just corruption. The United States has taken, has taken a turn off the, uh, as, 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 as it's put in the Quran, has steered from the, from, the, from the right path. We're in big trouble. So before we can look abroad, we really need to resolve major, major issues here at home right now. And I think some of those, it's such a good point, Lee, and some of those major issues are the incentive structures and, and the way we reward or don't hold accountable people who lead to, I think, unfortunate situations. You mentioned um, McChrystal, right? And it's important to point out that his first position when leaving the military, his muddle through McChrystal, his first position was teaching a leadership class at Yale after that. And you mentioned Petraeus, just to kind of close the loop on that. Why was, just as we end, why was Petraeus the first name that came to mind when we started talking about leaders that um, maybe are, are emblematic of the problems you just mentioned? Yeah, I'm, I mean, because we saw how he got a break for uh, leaking classified intelligence to his then mistress regarding his <laughs> biography. So again, the, the way that the elite the way that the elite is treated here, the breaks that they're given for for their clown show, and the way that the Ameri- the rest of the American public is treated, that's something else that's very important. What does this country stand for? Mm. Who who are we? Also, an important thing is who are our allies now going forward? Right? Who are the different people who have passed the test? I mean, Australia has. Australia has fought um, side by side with the United States in more wars than the United Kingdom. But, but look at what's happening in Australia right now. Can the United States really go forward and say, we are partnered with all sorts of democracies around the world? Under what circumstances do we call Australia a democracy? Under what circumstances do we project um, democratic values ourselves? So again, the world is closing in. China is moving very quickly. Bad things are happening all around us. But without internal strength, and we do have internal strength, it's just not our elites. Without that, we're going to continue to wander um, wander in the desert, as it were. We've been joined today by Lee Smith, uh, the new senior fellow at the Government Accountability Institute, uh, raised some very, very important and profound points today. We remember in the 1970s that we had Malays after Vietnam. That led to our comeback, our renewal. The point today that I think we're all making that I think is so vital is that renewal has to come internally. This is not just a question of brandishing more weapons overseas. There has to be a confidence in the core ideas that we stand for. We need domestic renewal and we need renewed confidence. Thank you all for joining us today. This is Peter Schweitzer, joined as always with Eric Eggers. And our special guest today has been Lee Smith. Uh, you can access uh, all of our podcasts at thedrilldown.com, where you'll also see plenty of articles. And just a reminder, we here believe in that irrepressible American spirit, and we know that it will be renewed again, but we've got to fight the fights in order to get there. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks.